Happy Valentine's Day to uh, all of you. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing. Uh, right? Um, we are people who need love. We are people who need love. Did you know, I don't know if you've thought about this, the gospel is an expression, it's love. Like it is love at its most extreme presentation. And for many people, the thing that drew them to faith was Jesus' love in particular. Jesus' buddy John likes to write about the love uh, uses the word over and over in his gospel as well as in his letters. Listen to what he says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. He says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Yeah, all you need is love. Yeah, da, 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 da. Thank you very much. I appreciate the support. That was lovely. How do we live? How do we live in like this unparalleled love of God? Uh, we uh, we've been studying this this book, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. That is, it's loving and it's endearing and it's an intimate letter between. Uh, the Apostle Paul who loves these people and they who love him in return and have expressed that in all kinds of different ways. We've been talking about it as we've gone along. This is a church that the Apostle Paul helped start in the ancient city of Philippi in modern-day Greece. Um, and we've been, we spent the last, uh, this is the eighth Sunday, kind of working our way through this letter. Uh, you get to the final chapter, the, the second half of Philippians chapter 4, and we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, Paul, um, Paul, Paul is, is, is thanking the Philippian church for expressing their love for him through, financially. Uh, they had sent a significant gift uh, in the hands of a man named Epaphroditus. Uh, we looked at that three Sundays ago, uh, and uh, he, he got sick on the way, it would seem, um, to the point of death, um, made it to see Paul left the gift. Paul wanted to send him back. He was concerned that the church was going to be very anxious about him. So he sends him back with this letter. Um, and in the closing portion of chapter 4, Paul says, thank you. Thanks for your generosity. Thank you for your encouragement to me. He was in prison. Uh, in those days, if you didn't have deep enough pockets uh, and friends didn't support you, family didn't support you, and you're in prison, well, you rotted in prison. And they did, were not going to see that happen. They reached out to, to help him financially. Paul's expressed his thanks to them. And then in, in chapter 4, verse 19, he, 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 he kind of gives it back. He says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I, I can only begin to imagine what that turn of phrase means. The riches of God's glory in Christ Jesus. It sounds like pretty deep pockets to me. And he's talking about God's ability to provide for us what we need. Love, sweet love, and everything else that goes around uh, the practical needs that we have. And some of you have been sharing just beautiful testimonies with me recently of how God has met you at your point of need. And we say, yay, Jesus, thank you for that. 
Here, the financial peace, Paul elsewhere, 2 Corinthians, a different letter, um, he actually references, he says that the, uh, the, the Macedonian churches, the Philippian churches, gave out of overwhelming poverty. Like they didn't, weren't even giving because they had deep pockets themselves. And Paul's saying, look, God's going to meet your needs even as he has met my needs. And we say, that's a lot of love. Like that is the kind of love that we take encouragement from. So that's kind of the end part of chapter 4. But what I want to do is we're going to go to the beginning part of chapter 4, the first nine verses of Philippians chapter 4, and there's a lot of love going on in here as well. Throughout this study, we've been examining this very encouraging, very positive letter, and the, the Apostle Paul keeps coming back and calling, calling the readers of the letter to be a joy-filled people. And he's writing this, this encouragement from prison himself, a Roman prison, and we say, who should be encouraging who here? This guy is incarcerated in a place that is not nice at all under a people who didn't know the meaning of human rights, okay? A government that did not know this at all. Uh, and, and he's writing words of encouragement. We're saying, what's the key to the kind of joy that Paul's talking about? How do I access, how do I open the door to this kind of, key, kind of, um, kind of joy? And it kind of comes together for us here. In chapter 4, I hope you'll see this with me. Um, I'll put it this way. The key to unlocking joy is found in how we stand. It's how we live and how we think. So that's the outline for this morning. You can pull it down on the OAC app. Follow along. Make some notes as you go. Um, You can draw it from our website, www.okalliance.ca. Um, I encourage you at some point to pull it down and, um, and if not follow along right now, there's some questions on the back of that that are designed to help you kind of come back to this text later this week. And I'd, I'd encourage you to do that uh, in your quiet time, personally, uh, maybe around dinner table as a family or, or in your life group or a micro life group. Uh, come back to this passage of scripture and then just invite the Holy Spirit to remind you of what he may be speaking to you this morning as we, as we unpack this Uh, together. So I'm just going to kind of jump into this. The key to unlocking joy is found in how you stand, how you live, and how you think. Um, And and Paul begins with this idea that we must stand together in unity. Chapter 4, verse 1, therefore my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way dear friends. English translators struggle a little bit to decide, is that verse, chapter 4, verse 1, is it the beginning of the next idea in Paul's letter, or is it the concluding conclusion of the the idea that precedes? And depending on which translation you're referencing, they may put it one way or the other in the way they paragraph structure the translation. And I think the struggle is, is... is because it's both. It, it both concludes where Paul has been. Uh, last week, you may recall, Pastor Craig uh, opened chapter 3, the end part of chapter 3 for us, and Paul was talking about this idea that, that we need to follow those who are following Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 17. And so what follows on from that would be stand firm in the Lord in this way. Okay? But then we kind of go on to chapter 4, verse 2, and we say, well, but this also seems to lead into it. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. Chapter two, 4, verse 2, I plead with Iodia and 
I plead with Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. And Paul's bringing us back to something we've encountered before in this letter. The key to unlocking joy is found in how we stand, and in particular, Paul's saying we need to stand together. Now, we don't know who these two leaders really were. Like, this is the only place in the scriptures where Eodia and Syntyche's names show up. But listen to how Paul describes them. He says, they have contended at my side. That's battle language. Uh, We've heard that before. Back in chapter 2, we talked about Epaphroditus, who had carried this gift from Philippi to Paul. And he he described Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier. Uh, These women have contended at his side. In chapter 2, Paul described Epaphroditus as a a fellow soldier, and, and he describes this team as contenders. They're contenders. They are people who are doing battle for the sake of the gospel. He says, at my side for the cause of the gospel. They're doing battle together against the devil and his grip on this world, bringing the hope of Jesus everywhere they go. And he, just, he says, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. So these women were part of Paul's steam, a team. Steam, okay? So you may remember, about three Sundays ago, we talked about this. Paul doesn't do ministry alone. He's not a solo amigo. He is a guy who always does ministry with other people and, and, and steamed spiritually together, each achieves more. Uh, it, it could easily have been his motto. These ladies were part of this, this team uh, uh, that Paul was, was working with, at least in Philippi, and, and somehow they found themselves in conflict with one another. And we don't really know what the conflict is. There's been some guesses. Uh, but at the end of the day, we really just don't know what it is. We just know that it's a serious enough conflict, and it's been a prolonged enough conflict that it actually has come now to Paul's attention in prison in Rome. Likely Epaphroditus, when he delivered the gift. Hey, how's it going there? Oh, this and this and this. Yeah, there's this thing. Iodia and Syntyche, here's what the deal is. Man, these are, these are friends of mine. These are co-ministers of mine. These are team members. They, they've ministered together with me for the sake of the gospel. They're contenders, these people. And so it, it may be that Paul's actually had this in mind right from the very beginning of this letter. Like from the very first sort of words of encouragement toward unity. Um, uh, consider this. So chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says, Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And then in chapter 2, verse 2, he continues this idea. He says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. Those are the exact words that he used for Iodia and Syntyche that they would have one mind. Um, he says, being, being like-minded, have the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now, we don't know 
what the issue was, but we know that it was serious enough that, that it's caught Paul's attention and it's threatening the very fabric of the church. How we walk and live together matters. We represent Jesus to one another and to our world. Now, you'll notice that Paul doesn't prescribe a solution here. He doesn't say, you know, this one's right here and that one's wrong there. And there's, um, he does encourage uh, someone we don't really know who it is, uh, my, my companion, and Clement to, to intervene, to help these women in the conflict. Don't just stay hands off. Be, we, this is not comfortable territory, is it, friends? Like, this is not the stuff that we go into uh, without an awful lot of prayer and, and careful thought. But Paul's admonished others around to help. And, and then consider Paul's own intervention here. Um, like, he's not prescribed what should happen, but consider how this letter would actually come to the church in Philippi. Um, so, so Epaphroditus had arrived in Rome, delivered the gift. Paul's concerned for them, sends them back, says, by the way, take this letter, please deliver it to them. If they followed what was fairly typical first century practices, then the, the, the messenger, Epaphroditus himself, carrying the letter back, would actually read the letter to the church or to whoever was receiving it. I mean, you couldn't assume that, in fact, many people were not literate, um, and so let's assume that that's what happened. So Epaphroditus arrives in Philippi. Yay, he's here. Isn't that fantastic? You're well. Uh, we know that your health, you almost died on this journey representing us and our concern for Paul. Thank you for, you have a letter from Paul? Well, let's hear it. We want to hear this together. And so we gather around, maybe like this, uh, in, in whatever space we have, and, and Epaphroditus begins to read. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. We look around the room and say, man, I love that guy. Man, he, doesn't he have our best interests at heart? And isn't he just the, the sweetest? Like, we love this guy. And, and Epaphroditus reads on, and he kind of makes his way through the letter. He comes to chapter 1, verse 27. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We're like, man, that's high, high, high standard. 3, verse 17. So Paul says, follow my example. And follow others who follow the example of Jesus. And then we get to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love, and Epaphroditus is reading to the congregation that's gathered, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Iodia, and I plead with Syntyche. Be of the same mind in the Lord. I bet you at that point, you could hear a pin drop. You know, people are like, oh, this, this has gotten personal. And he says, and Clement, you know, and fellow companion, help these women. Help them, because we have contended together. We have, there are some hard conversations uh, that, that we as human beings end up having to have together with one another. Um, 
And yet this is such a practical application of the teaching that Paul's been bringing. Our unity matters. Our ability to walk together matters. There are some families who seem to, seem to get along really nicely. But if you scratch below the surface, what you realize is they never actually have meaningful conversations. You know, it's all sports and the weather. Um, and, and love doesn't mean that we have to sweat the small stuff. But, but it does mean that we're willing to have the difficult conversations. And we've been kind of seeing as we've been going through the letter already, it, it doesn't even mean that we necessarily come to full agreement on how we're going to handle X or Y. But it means that we're going to be in the Lord. That's, that's what the language Paul uses. We are going to... So, all through this letter and actually throughout the pages of the entire Bible... There's family language attached to Scripture. Uh, Sometimes we think about church as business, and sometimes we think about it as, you know, politics. We use these kinds of metaphors. The the overarching metaphor for for us is family. Uh, God is our father. Christ is our brother. Paul here multiple times has described us as brothers and sisters, And it's this acknowledgement that blood is thicker than water. Why does unity matter? Well, because we're family. And at the end of the day, we're stuck with one another, whether you like it or not, right? You know, and and we're going to spend all of eternity together. So, So ought we not find a way to kind of figure some of this stuff out before we're standing before the throne singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain? By the way, remember what I said to you that time? Would you please forgive? You know, shh, we're worshiping Jesus here. We're finally seeing him face to face. Like, I don't know if that would ever happen, but can, can, can we take care of it now? Can we just, and, and when, it's, when, it's, when it's bigger stuff, you know, it's the short accounts, but when it's bigger stuff, then get one another's assistance in it that we would have, uh, find a way through that, that our resolve would be to walk together. The reality with many conflicts, I think we, we end up kind of, ooh, conflict. So often, they're not as big as we make them out to be. They're, they're, they're often, conflict is found in misunderstanding. You know, reading between the lines something that wasn't intended to be there, and all of a sudden a wedge is, is put in. It kind of happened to Anne and myself last Sunday. We, we, have this, we have this practice as a family where typically on Sunday we come home, we make lunch together and, and eat together, and somewhere in the process of making lunch and eating lunch, we talk about the service, talk about the worship, talk about the sermon, go back to the text that we've been in, uh, take the sermon notes and the questions that are on the back and maybe ask a couple of those questions of each other. And just try to, what was God saying to you? And how do we steward that and kind of carry it forward? And uh, it's, been, it's been wonderful. It's been a wonderful practice together. And so we were doing this, this last, last Sunday and I was anticipating this passage in particular. And so I just asked the question, what kinds of things really annoy you? <laughs> and, 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 and Anne's response was fake canoes. And I'm like, what do you got against canoes? Like, like is it paper, fabric, paper, you know, like fabric, paper mache canoes? I, I was actually a little worried she was talking about the Christmas ornament I showed you a few months, a couple months ago, a little bear in the canoe, like it just doesn't match any of our, what do you got against canoes? She said, not canoes, news. Fake news annoys me. And I go, oh, okay, well, that annoys me too. Um, 
you know, we, we could have had a, a full-blown domestic, right? If she'd just articulate more clearly. <laughs> or I would listen more accurately, right? But so often, the things that become conflict uh, begin in something just really simple that need to be resolved with short accounts uh, with one another. Key to unlocking joy is found in how we stand. We need to stand together. How we live. Uh, we need to live in God's peace. Um, let's just read a little further. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness, gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Live in God's peace. That's what will guard your hearts and your minds. So, now the followers of Jesus in Philippi had much that would stress them. Okay, so they, they were living in difficult economic times. Paul, 2 Corinthians, said they gave out of poverty. Uh, they were living in a Roman colony that declared Jesus, uh, Caesar is Lord. A and they were, they were declaring Jesus is Lord, right? So that sets them up for pretty significant persecution in the setting they found themselves. And then Paul's already in this letter warned them about the false teachers that have been infiltrating other churches that he had begun we talked about it a few weeks ago. He, they were coming around saying, look, if you want to follow the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, you've got to become Jewish. And Paul's multiple times said, absolutely not. It's Jesus and Jesus only. And, and, and so they've got these kinds of concerns going on around them. And here Paul's building on, uh, bringing his encouragement from, building on the kind of language that Jesus had actually used as he warned his disciples. John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Paul's building on this. He's like, don't be surprised there's trouble. Don't be surprised that it's difficult to walk in unity, that it's difficult to kind of step into the peace of God and stay there. But he gives kind of these punchy statements. This is the Greek is easier than the English, or, or clearer than the English, but they're kind of these punchy one-liners. Do not be anxious about anything. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I mean, they had, they had much that would distress them. We've got much going on in our world that is distressing us. No question about it. And Paul's saying, look, you're going to have to take action if you're going to combat anxiety. The first thing he, he admonishes them to is prayer. He says, you need to be someone who is praying. Present your requests to God, he says. In other words, you've been invited into relationship with God, and relationship requires conversation. It requires communication, both speaking and listening. Present your requests. Let's talk, Jesus. We're maybe a little better at the request part than we are at the petition part. He says, present your requests uh, to God, with prayer and petition, persist, the, 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 Jesus spoke about the persistent widow. 
who, who, who came and came again and came again. And the analogy that he was using was, was an unjust judge who finally gives justice because of her persistence. How much more so God? He's just. He's good. And Paul's calling for a, petition, a, a persistence in our pursuit of what we are needing from him. Lord, I'm concerned about this. This is going on in the world. This is going on in life. This is, what's, this is the need that I've got, and I'm, I'm going to bring it, I'm going to bring it again, I'm going to bring it again, and bring it again, and bring it again. We're going to petition. And, and then he, he says, give, give thanks. Second encouragement. I think you know this, but um, an attitude of gratitude is something that must be cultivated. It's not something that just kind of happens to you, like all of a sudden you become grateful. Uh, I, and I realize, I mean, there seem to be some people who, I don't know, they're hardwired or something to, to be happier people or something. Um, I don't know if that's really true or if they've just cultivated attitude of gratitude throughout their entire life and, and they've got this, they figured this one out. But, but all of us can be thankful, all of us need to be thankful and, and often it begins with the little things, right? Lord, thank you that I woke up this morning. Thank you that I got a roof over my head. Thank you that I've got food in my fridge or cupboard. Or, uh, thank, you, thank you that my car started this morning. <laughs> you know? Thank you, I have a car. Um, wow, Lord, thank you. Um, and, and then the third thing that, that, that is inferred here would be just the idea that we've got to do something. We, we've got to do something. Now let me, let me caveat this with this. None of this rules out an intervention. Um, if you have a serious anxiety problem, uh, you need to get help. Um, if, if you, like clinical level anxiety requires clinical level intervention, clinical level assistance. Uh, if you've broken your leg, you need a doctor to set it and put it in a cast. If you've got clinical level anxiety going on, get the help that you need. I'd be glad to point you in the right direction if that's something that would be useful to you. And by all means, pray and petition God and cultivate thankfulness in your heart for those things that, you, that, that are before you, that you can be thankful for. Um, but for the rest of us, you know, who have kind of normal level anxieties, um, one of the things we really need to be paying attention to is just establishing a foundation of wellness in our lives. Uh, eat healthy food. You know what? Fuel your body and your mind with nutrition. Uh, the, 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 the crazy thing is that often when we're under stress, what do we do? We go to, we go to those comfort foods, uh, which typically are high in sugar, high in carbs. Uh, like, like they're not fueling our body with the best fuel that it needs to be able to think and function well. Uh, eat, eat healthy. Um, go to bed early. You know, like get enough sleep. None of us do our best work, our best thinking when we're exhausted. And, and, and so do something about it. It is in your power to do something about that. Here's the other thing, and that is exercise. Go for a walk, go for a jog. When the gym's open, you know, we're, we're in our, our living room two or three mornings a week, and we're doing the calisthenic type stuff, uh, bar three fitness. Um, but finding a way just to stay active is so important to your mental well-being. Uh, your emotional well-being. Um, did you know that physical motion um, sends signals within your body? Like when you become active, it actually helps your body deal with stress and anxiety. There's a Christian counselor here in town um, whom I was, 
I, became, I understood through their counsel to someone who was dealing with some uh, physical anxiety manifesting itself physically, uh, who said, look, uh, even just the act of doing this, of, of stretching and opening yourself up, um, your body sends a physical message to the rest of you, to your mind and to your emotions, saying you don't, you don't need to be afraid. Like, like, this is the protective posture, right? And we, we tend to kind of go here, and, and, and if we stay here, sickness ends up manifesting itself in our organs, but, but we can just send a message to ourself. You're okay. There's a, there's a kind of self-help guru, not a Christian, but uh, online, who uh, uh, talks about a medical reality, and, and, and it's this, that fear and excitement are actually the same chemical response in our bodies. Um, and uh, so she advises, uh, you know, you're in a situation, uh, you know, feeling nervous, sweaty, um, uh, count to five, and then insert an excitement narrative rather than a fear narrative. Okay, so it's just, it's just taking, it's doing some, some kind of self-talk here. So hands trembling, perspiring, um, I'm excited about the exam I'm about to write. Um, I get to show the knowledge that I have, and I'm going to learn and find out what I don't know. And in the end, it's a win-win. But I'm excited about the exam I'm going to write. Um, I'm excited about the future. I don't know what's around the corner, but I know Jesus is around the corner, so he's got me, it's good, and so I can be excited about the future. Okay, so it's, it's, it's inserting uh, an excitement narrative in place of a fear narrative. Now, she doesn't know Jesus as far as I know, but, but this is a very biblical thing to be doing. Uh, Paul, in, in a letter to the 2 Corinthians, he says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. Okay, we're taking responsibility for the way we're thinking because the way I think is going to affect how I feel and it's going to res- result in how I act. Uh, Paul, writing to the church in Rome, Romans 12, chapter 2, he says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are you pouring in? What are the, what's the self-talk that's going on? Where, what are the resources that you are placing in your mind in order that you would not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, with supplication, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, he goes on, he says, he says, present your requests to God, and he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts, your minds, in Christ Jesus. Uh, that's, I think that's an inference to battle language again. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, principalities of this dark world, Ephesians chapter 5. It's good, this is part of what's going to take to guard your hearts and your minds and, 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 and then we get this idea that the peace of God comes from the God of peace. So, so let me just recap. What's his advice about anxiety? It's pray, it's give thanks, it's rewrite the thought patterns uh, that are going on inside of us. And we're talking about the keys that unlock joy in our lives. Well, it's, it's going to come when we're standing together in unity. It's going to come when we are living in God's peace, making extra steps to step into his peace, and it's going to come when we think in God's ways. When we think in God's ways. Uh, Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. I mean, this is a beautiful verse, right? Many of us have this one hanging in our homes, right? Because like, we're, we're prone to forget. And so we put it there to remind ourselves of something that's important. These are the things we want to think about, that which is, is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, anything that's excellent and praiseworthy. It's an invitation to draw on the breadth of God's resources, the breadth of the things that he's given around us to, to, to feed ourselves. So, of course, it's Scripture. It's getting to know the intricacies of God's revelation of himself to us through his word. It's, it's that, but it's more than that. It's drawing on encouragement. And Paul's been talking about this. It's drawing on encouragement from one another as part of the family. This is a resource that he's given us. Hands, like the metaphors that, he, that are used in the pages of Scripture. Hands and feet. Eyes and ears, nose. Like we are interdependent with one another. We need one another. We're family. We're brothers and sisters. And, 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 and so we draw on that resource. But even beyond that resource, Paul says whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if it's excellent or praiseworthy, well, you're invited to think about those things. Last night it was Beauty and the Beast. We watched the movie Beauty and the Beast together. Um, you know, it was the um, lead actor's names forget. Anyway, the lead actor's names forgetting, but it was the one that was done more recently. Um, this beautiful theme of the Beast transforming, being changed. Uh, beautiful music. Um, uh, I mean, in tears, Celine Dion, so, so uh, yeah, Celine Dion singing the uh, closing sort of theme song, the new theme song for the movie. Well, she and Luther Vandross sang it in 1991. And then they closed the credits with um, Ariella Grande and, uh, and um, uh, John Legend uh, singing that same old song from 1991. Like, they really pull on the heartstrings. Disney knows, knows how to do that. But, but, and there, there are a lot of places that, that we can go, a lot of things that we can draw on that fit this criteria of true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. And, and, and so this is an invitation to draw on the breadth of that, whether it's, it's the, the, going to the mountains and enjoying a hike, whether it's drawing on the beauty that we're seeing out here today and the gorgeous sunlight on the, on the, on the stunning snow, uh, it's, it's going for a walk. It's, it's finding ways to bring that, the resources of God in so that we can live in the ways that Paul is describing. And, and he comes to verse 9, he says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, okay, okay, we visited this last week, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. The peace of God comes from the God of of peace. And I realize, man, in the, in the world we're living in right now, it probably means at least this, a lot less CNN, CTV, Rebel News, whatever your poison is, uh, it probably means a, a lot less of that. And a lot more of this, and this, and this, and um, if I had my paper Bible, I'd hold it out, and, I'd, and this. <laughs> Like just a lot more of these things which then are going to feed us so that we can live in these kinds of beautiful ways in our world 
that are going to be beautiful and compelling and representing Jesus effectively. The key to unlocking joy is found in us standing how we stand, how we live, we live in the God of peace, and how we think. And, and we probably need to add the word together because this is a communal exercise. It's a communal effort. Um, and I don't know if you, you noticed, I've been referencing kind of this interconnected language. Chapter 4, verse 1, my dear brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, right? We're family. Jesus Christ is our brother. God is our father. The central ordering uh, activity of our worship is a meal, it's a, it's a meal that we're encouraged to consume together. So I'm going to invite the worship steam to come and lead us, uh, Colleen and the steam. Um, and, and, and while they come and kind of get sorted, let, let, me, um, let me read one of the accounts of our brother Jesus setting this table for us and imploring us to eat together. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying this, Take and eat this, it is my body. When he took a cup, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying this, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Friends, this is an invitation into family. It's a unity that Paul's been describing. It's a preferring of one another in love. It involves humbly serving one another the way Jesus has served our greatest need. The, the need to be reconciled to the Father and have our sin atoned for. And this meal reminds us of what our brother has done for us. He has done that which we could not do for ourselves. And, and, and we exalt him. <laughs> we worship him because of that. And, and you know what? If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I would say come and follow him. Make the decision to do so now. You are invited into the family. And if you're not there yet, that's all right. Just let this moment pass and then come back to the question this week. We started advertising the Alpha Course and it's going to be an opportunity just after Easter for you to ask any question about your spiritual place in the world. Uh, we would love to invite you to be a part of that. It's going to be offered online. Um, never, it's never been easier. It's never been easier. But followers of Jesus, if that's you, brothers and sisters, let's take this bread and remember what Jesus has done for us as we eat together. And in this cup, we're reminded that his blood was shed so that yours and mine's not required. He died so that we might live and we drink in grateful celebration of Jesus. So let's us drink together.
Colleen and the worship team are going to uh, lead us in response. If you're here, stand. You can stand at home too and join us in worship. <laughs> 